Reese Show from Southern California. This is the Ryan Reese Show. Post your questions using at Ryan Reese on his Instagram, Twitter, or Facebook. Are you ready? All right. This Saturday night, this show is going to be epic. Why? Because I got one of my good friends on the uh, – he's actually zooming in out from uh, Texas, and I've toured with him. Um, I met him a few years back out in – I think the first time I met him was in Nashville, Tennessee. We were at the Rocket Town, and there was a rave there happening uh, with Crave. And then I met him there, and then I also met him over in L.A. We did a – we partnered with Crave and did a rave down in um, Pomona. And I met him again, and we just continue to keep this uh, conversation going. I contacted him when uh, coronavirus hit the world and everyone got locked down. I got bored. And I was looking at buying some turntables uh, because I miss going out to EDM events. And I hit him up, and we had some more conversations and just uh, just kept this um, friendship going. And then I had an opportunity um, as I was watching him as he continued to go out. And he's an he's a EDM DJ. His name is DJ Overcomer. And he's continuing to perform at different places in Mexico, all over the United States, uh, possibly even other different parts of, of the world. Uh, how God was using him in this space. So recently I felt led to give him a call for whatever reason, just to connect with him. And I ended up flying out to his hometown to go see him perform and to meet up with his wife and just kind of see like, you know, before I work with people, I like to see people's lives behind the scenes, like who they really are, not who they are on stage, but it's all about, it's all about character, and I'm not looking for perfect people because my example is looking at Jesus, who was perfect, but then you look at his disciples, or who very in, uh, unper- imperfect, and, um, but their hearts were sold out for Christ, and they kept going after God and listening to what he, how he taught them, and they made mistakes, but they kept moving forward. Very imperfect people, but God used them to do extraordinary things. So I flew out to Vegas, met up with him, got to go eat some IHOP at like 3 in the morning after the gig, met his Oh, kids. let me stop you there. Uh, Dallas, not Vegas. Did I say Vegas? You said <laughs> Vegas. I was in Dallas, and we went out to IHOP to go eat some food and um, just really saw that uh, him and his family, the real deal. So I decided to invite them out on a whosoever trip. But we're going to get uh, back to that later on in the show. But I want to intro uh, DJ Overcomer out from Dallas. Where, oh, where were we at that time? Uh, we're actually in Ennis, Texas. Ennis, um, Texas. Yeah, we Ennis, Texas about maybe 45 minutes from downtown. It's a little bitty town, country town. And uh, I remember when I told you what town it was, and you're like, what is that? I'm like, it's just a hole in the wall that believes in Jesus. But you, and, fly, uh, you fly into Dallas. You get the flight to Dallas, and then yeah. you drive. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So man, oh, good to, great. good to have you on. I know we got Zoom, so there might be a little little delay. But dude, hey, thank you, man, very much for being on, man. I'm I'm stoked. We've been I've been trying to do this actually for a couple of years. We've talked about getting you on, but now we're doing it. Yeah, man, I'm excited for this, man. I mean, we've the thing about what, with us, you know, it was it was more of a connection of a brotherhood. It wasn't it wasn't uh, you know connection to work in the future. It was more you know, becoming family than anything else. So I, I appreciate this opportunity to be on this. I know whosoever's and you guys, and I had a chance to tour with you guys. And, you know, uh, y'all are one different people to hang around with. Um, you got to be praying for Tom and Lucas out there, you know what I'm saying? But anyways, um, <laughs> it's it's been a blessing to know you for all these years. And 
even had a chance to speak with you when you came out here to to the show to see the the character or behind the scenes. And uh, a lot of people don't know what it takes to do a show. Yeah, a lot of people don't know what you go through or the stress level. You can get booked on a Monday on July 16th. By by September 16th, the show comes on. They don't even know that how much you have to, time that you have to prepare for that one show. And you got a chance to see that in one day where my daughter had a uh, volleyball game, which is I'm her coach of the team. Um, by the way, we're undefeated two seasons. I'm just saying. Nice. But uh, and uh, I'm the coach, and I also help run my wife's uh, snow cone shop, which you went to. Um, yep. We left there. We went to go set up the lights and the production to the show. Uh, we got ready. We did the show. We got done. We went to IHOP. I mean, it was a nonstop day. And you even got locked out of your room. I got locked out of my room. Went, went through all kinds of stuff too, man. So it's 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 been an honor, man, to know you, known you. And the more I get to know you and hang around with you guys and travel with you guys, it's been a huge blessing, man. Big time blessing. Well, dude, thanks a lot, man. We we the whole whosoever crew loves us, loves you as well. I told when you were coming down to Mexico. I said, watch out. And I said, but I go, you guys are all gonna, you guys are all gonna connect because I know you're just like us. You know, you like to talk trash and have a good time and and bring the gospel. So that's pretty much what we do, and that's exactly what we did down there in Puerto Vallarta, and we saw amazing things happen. But before we get to that story, man, I want to because there's a lot. Your story's gnarly, and there's a lot of amazing God stories to get you to where you're at. Right now, and people go look at you as your DJ on stage, and you're playing in front of thousands of people doing the thing. But what got you there? You should not even be here. It's God's grace on your life. So, where'd you grow up? Did you grow up out in uh, Texas? Yeah, I am from uh, West Texas, from a town called San Angelo, Texas. Ain't nothing but two chickens and a goat. I would say. <laughs> hey, uh, Texas is a big. Uh, it's a country. T- you know, it's country. It is. It is. It's country, but at the same time, it's flat. It's hot. It's dirt. Yeah, it's windy. I mean, literally where we're where I'm from is oil land. So um, there's there's thousands and thousands, thousands of rigs pumping every single day. So it causes, you know, droughts everywhere out there. And but again, from San Angelo, Texas, born and raised. And I left there when I was 18 to Dallas, Texas. Um, I went to uh, I ended up playing for UT University of Texas. And then I Ended up quitting that and, and coming back to Texas and back to Dallas. And then I ended up going to school there and basically graduated from there and started DJing, broadcasting, communication. I did radio, late night DJing all the way around. And it was incredible. But I ended up back home in 2021. But there, and, was, uh, there was a lot of things, though, that, that happened in, in this process, right? I mean, yeah. I mean, you know, that's, that's oh, kind of... That, you know, it all started like it all started, man, because when I was going to school and I was DJing and trying to like do it on my own, um, a lot of stuff happened in the past from my younger days. Yeah, um, let's talk about that. It. Yeah, man. Um it caused me to go spiraling down from when I before I got there. So I grew up my parents were my parents were divorced uh when I was like six months old. Um my dad, my dad Matter of fact, I just found out that this past year that I didn't know my dad was a heroin addict. Um, he was a big time drug addict and an alcoholic as well. And and my my mother, um, she was she had a rough life as well. Um, those little generational curses and chains that was attached to them uh, growing up, and and it was all about partying. It was all about you know drugs on one side of the family. It was there was no um, there was no God. And there was no church. It was all the traditional. You know, Catholic on Sunday, you, right. you 
gotta go to church on Sunday, you know, because grandma's going, you gotta go. Right. You gotta go. You ain't got no choice. You just it's just part of it. Um, I like to tell people that I got from my buddy of mine. I was a drug baby. I was drugged to church, you know, <laughs> every Sunday because yeah. it was part of the culture. And so I mean, I didn't know nothing else. I I knew I knew about God. I didn't know Jesus though. Yeah. You know, I didn't have a relationship with so him. So I have it a question. I have a question for you. About this whole Catholicism thing, because the reason why I say that there's a, there's a lot of uh, people that I've talked to and that I continue to come across from actually just this last week, several Catholics that grew up with this kind of similar life. But this is my question to you. So you could speak to those practicing Catholics or those drug drug babies, the ones that were drugged to church. Um, yeah. What was what, how was Jesus um, portrayed to you? as a youngster going to these churches, like how do you look at Jesus? Because the Jesus of the, to the Mormons and the Jesus to Christians and the Jesus to the Catholics, it's totally different. What was Jesus to you? Was it Jesus? Was he that, hanging on a cross dead in, in a, in a, in a, in a Catholic church that you would go pray to the priest or was there any power in it or what, how, how do you look at Jesus? Honestly, I didn't look, I, I didn't know Jesus still, even when I was in the church and it might make some people mad, but as a kid, yeah, we're all, we're all about imagination. So yeah. what was, what, what was poured into me was the one person that can heal you is the Virgin Mary. Really? They, it was, I mean, the church that I went to, Yeah. I mean, that was, like I said, it was all traditional. So the Virgin Mary was the one that could heal you, you know, when they start praying to the bees and all these other things and stuff like that. But it wasn't. I really didn't know. I knew Jesus, but I knew because he was God's son. And I knew he was the guy that was sweating on the cross because it was so hot in that church. Because I knew Jesus was sweating. Because if, if Jesus was sweating, I know I'd be sweating too because he was really hot. Yeah. But they had the cross. They had the big old cross in there. I mean, it was, to me, it was never really, uh, that was really never taught or, or poured into about Jesus. It was all about the Virgin Mary. It was all about having the statues, the candles, and everything else that, that they believe in. Right. Um, until I got older, I finally realized, like, whoa, um, this is just a woman that just carried Jesus. That's it. Right. She was just chosen for that moment. She cannot heal you. She's yeah. not the one that's protect you. She's not the one that has you covered by the blood of, of Jesus. It's, yeah. she's, I mean, I hate to say it like this, and I hope yeah. I don't get judged for it. But if I do, this is my, this is the way I feel. Yeah. The Virgin Mary cannot save you or heal you or get you into heaven. Yeah. It's, it's biblical. Can. It's biblical. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but yeah. by me. So yes. growing up in this Catholicism, now your parents, they're not, they're, they're, they're just practicing Catholics or whatever. They go to church. But was there any kind of like a drug influence in your life? Were, were you growing up like kind of in a rougher neighborhood? Was there any kind of like gang stuff happening around you? Yeah, my family was, uh, my, my older cousins were, you know, in gangs and stuff like that. There were, um, I think I still remember, it was called Latin Kings. Mm-hmm. Um, I've heard of them. and, uh, um, and so, but I also had a lot of uncles, um, and my first, okay. I had a lot of uncles that were into the, you know, the mafia, Mexican mafia and that, uh, were big time dope dealers back then. My whole, my grandfather, my mother's, uh, dad, um, he was a huge, huge, huge drug dealer. He, he dealt, uh, what was what they call it in Spanish Chiva. And it is basically black heroin. Got um, it. it's probably the worst of the worst. I mean, because of that, I lo- no longer have uncles anymore. Yeah. All my uncles. So back then, um, their last name were Rojas, Rojas. Their last name was feared. And, um, because of who they were, I had uncles, I had an uncle named machine for a reason. Um, 
because he was that guy. Um, they had uncles that that went to prison for killing people and drugs. And my my grandfather would give me like a hundred dollar bill when I was eight years old to go to the store to get a coke, you know, yeah. or a drink or a snack or gummy bears or candy, whatever. Yeah, yeah. But all my uncles pushed pounds and pounds of it. And so I was like not introducing the life. I was like born into that life. Right. Right. And, and, but on my, my father's side, they didn't do nothing like that. They were more the users of it. Got so, it. and alcohol having parties every weekend from Friday to, you know, from Thursday to, to, to Sunday morning, um, and then go to church and then cook out and start drinking again, Monday, go to work and do it all over again. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it was, it was basically, there was not once growing up on my father that I did not smell Budweiser on his breath. Right. Right. Yeah. And that was every day. My mother, my mother had a tough childhood as well. Um, my grandmother was a, a single grandmother, a single mother that had to raise two kids and it was tough for them. My mother, uh, helped raise her brother. Um, and, um, she sacrificed a lot. And then when I, she had me, it was even harder for her as well. Yep, yep. Um, but luckily, uh, she was blessed and I was blessed with, uh, another man in my life, which is my stepdad, which I call him my dad. Yep. So I was blessed with my father and my dad. And, um, but my stepdad was also, um, uh, he was a good man. He was a good country boy. And it taught me the respect of a handshake, uh, a handshake, a firm handshake goes a long way. I tell a lot of people, when you shake my hand and you agree to something, that's my contract. That's cool. You know, if, you like shake that. My hand, if you shake my hand like this, I'm, the first thing I'm going to do is slap your hand out of the way. I want to. I want to. I want to make sure that, you know, you're you look me in my eyes, shake my hand, stern, say, "Hey, I got you," and got then I'll believe you. And then, uh, but with that, those curses still come with a price. You well, know, you me know, and my mom didn't get along. You know, um, you know what's interesting, really quick, is like when you when you uh, want to jump in here because I know that when you're, you're talking about drugs and alcohol and all this stuff, it's like. We know that the Bible talks about these strongholds and these footholds, right? The supernatural realm. When you start opening yourself up to witchcraft or pharmakia, as it's, it's talked about, pharmakia is witchcraft in the Bible. You start opening yourself to the supernatural realm of the influence of the demonic around you, your family, and people. So naturally, it's going to stir up uh, demonic stuff and activity Around the doors. Yeah, all the doors. around you, all around you guys. So here you guys are trying to navigate through this stuff. You and your mom. Was there? Was did you end up getting into like selling it or 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 a part of it all, or did you kind of just veer away uh, and go go to uh, college? Yeah, yeah. I mean, it. Like I said, I was I wasn't introduced. To it. I was like born into it, so I would see them do deals right in front of me. Yeah, uh, I remember going to my grandfather's house one time and. I was looking for a toy mine. I'll never forget this. I remember opening up this drawer and there was needles taped to the bottom of it, of the, of the shelf. Um, and they were loaded. I mean, and when they, in that case saying they were loaded, they were ready and prepared to be used. Um, there was probably like eight of them that I remember as a kid. I mean, nine or 10 years old, seeing a needle full of drugs. And if I would have got curious about it, I could have in my life there and, and never been on this conversation with you. Exactly. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And so my dad and stuff like that, I would see them, you know, get high all the time and stuff like that. So uh, I remember uh, I was 13 years old. Um, I remember my first time getting high, you know, and it wasn't a big deal because every, they were doing it. Why couldn't I do it? Right. You know, my parents, my, my parents do it. So they don't care. I'm going to go ahead and do it anyways. My mom, my mom was never really, a, she never, she wasn't a drug person. My mom drank a lot of party, but it was never about the drugs. My, yeah. my, it was more my dad. 
but my mom's family were the worst, worst of the of the, the whole thing. Yeah. Um, but again, I remember when I was 13, I got my opportunity to try some weed, try some marijuana. And I never forget when I got high, it was a different feeling. As soon as I got high, of all the pain and stress that we went through, because my mother was a very tough woman. Uh, my mom believed in, um, you know, if you do something wrong, you got to pay the price, you know? Mm-hmm. And so that was part of it. My dad was not in my life at all. Uh, he tried to be sometimes, but um, he just, it just wasn't. I, I, I wish he could. I, w- I always try to get that answer at him, but I never could. Yeah. He would always either blame my mother or somebody, but he was never in my life um at the beginning and so but i remember when i took when i got high the first time all the pain that i've ever felt was gone like there was no pain yep and it yeah. was a take from the drug that actually made me forget about it i, I was laughing i was having a great time mm-hmm. but as the years go through that you know i started smoking a lot of weed and then by the time i was 16 i was drinking alcohol i remember when i turned 16 i drank a beer with my dad and my grandfather that was like the initiation saying, Hey, now you're becoming a man. Yep. And then from there, from 16 drinking alcohol, by the time I was 18, I was doing cocaine. Right. The progression. Yeah. So it, it, it started somewhere and it's just going up from there because by the time I was 21 or 20, I was doing ecstasy. By the time I was 22, I was stuck on methamphetamine. Yep. And methamphetamine was my cup of coffee. That was, that was, I could, in my mind, I thought I can handle everything else. I can control it. I can also control this too. Yeah. But that's what the devil puts in your mind and puts in your heart that you think you can control it. You can, you can control it. But in fact, and, and one for 100, 100% truth, you can't control it because if you could control it, you would have stopped at the very first time that you tried to do it. Exactly. So you know Same for me. And I want to, I want to so, jump in here really quick. Um, you you guys are listening to a uh, DJ overcomer. He's out in Texas. He's an EDM DJ tours the world and he's just bringing us up to speed on growing up in in this environment in texas and uh some of his family members they were there were some of the pushers out there and he got exposed to grow up with a tough life but then discovered drugs and started uh, took took a hit of weed and started feeling good and this is why people do drugs because they feel good but what happens is the enemy comes in and he lies to us and tells us Oh, you could control the weed. You could control the alcohol. You can control the ecstasy. You can control the crystal meth. And then you end up in a situation where you're totally bound by addiction, strongholds and foothold's, and he has a hold of your life. And that's exactly what's going on with your life at this point. So what was the process? How would you break free from this and start? How'd you find God in all this? What was the process of you finding him? Like who Jesus really was? During, during the moment of all that, I mean, even, like I said, when I, by the time I was 21, you would, you would go down from being high, and then you start feeling all the pain all over again. Yep. So that was what made me do more. But what I didn't know is how my life would be changing as I went higher into it. I, did, I never came down. I've been high since I was 13 years old. Right. So when I found God in 2007, um, I went through this whole process because once it starts somewhere, I'm I'm always I'm an entrepreneur, so I'm I'm always looking for the next. Um, how can I provide for my family? How can I take care of business? How can I make some money? How can I do this? How can I do that? At that time, that's the way I used to think. So once I started progressing into this methamphetamine, 
you know, the, the devil works too every day to stop you from believing in God whatsoever. Absolutely. And he doesn't sleep. At all. <laughs> and I remember one of the worst and the most dangerous things that I have ever came across was a guy named, I don't remember his name, but we called him Guy. Well, it was this dorky, nerdy looking white guy and with glasses. No offense, right? Um, <laughs> and so he had the formula of cooking meth and showed me how to do it. I made my first batch the second night I met him, that I was hanging out with him. And I said, wow, this just changed the whole game. Well, let's just say it became the biggest mistake because I just went to a different level of drugs that a lot of people don't know. Once you start cooking and start making it, it gets really serious. Right. And people that are dead serious and real people that could take their lives in your life start coming into your life. Right. So you went, you went from the party scene to the actual business dark scene, real dark, dark scene. scene. Yeah, where it gets real ugly where, you know, you don't sleep. There was times for like two weeks I couldn't sleep because I had to watch my back the whole time. There was times for making nickels and dimes to making, you know, uh, kilos of meth of three to four to five kilos in, in, in one night and selling them for $100,000, $200,000. Yeah, it's, it's getting serious. Easy. Getting real serious. But that's a different door that you open. Yep. And when you open up that door, there's consequences. Yep. You know, you start hanging around with, I kid you not, I, I remember this guy. And I'm, I'll never forget his face. I could never see his right face because his move, the face would move every time I see it. And it's because he had a, a demon. I mean, yeah. he was super possessed. And I believe there's levels of demonicness in this world that attack you in different ways. Mm -hmm. You know, um, and this guy, I remember seeing his face. And I remember when I saw him, I, I, it like pushed me back and I got scared. Yeah. And I'm like, why am I here? Like, what am I doing? But right away, you know, I heard a voice saying, you got this. And Dang. so once I started doing all that stuff, my uncle came into town and my uncle um, that my, my mother helped raise um, changed his life. He became a Christian. And he said, let me just sit down with you for a second. Because my, my family knew everything was going on. Um, at that time, my, my wife, which is my girlfriend, and we'll talk about how I met her. She's yeah. been in love with me since seventh grade, but you know, whatever. Um, and uh, um, she left me because she found out I was living two lives because I was doing drugs and and trying to live a straight life. Yeah. She doesn't. Do, she doesn't do drugs at all. She doesn't want nothing to do with it. But um, at that time, that that my uncle came in town. He sat down. And he goes, "Hey, I just want to ask you three questions, three or four questions." I was like, "What do you want? What's the, what's the question?" He goes, "Do you know God?" And I said, "Do I know God?" Yeah. I said, I know God. He goes, do you know that Jesus Christ is your Lord and Savior? And I said, nope. He goes, do you know that he can uh, bless you? I said, nope. Do you know he can provide finance for you? I said, nope. I said, he can't do none of that for me. And he said, why? I said, because I'm God. I can be God. And he's like, why do you say that? I said, I can give life if I needed to. I can take life if I needed to. I can bless if I want to. I said, I can do as much as he can with the more money that I have. And he said, you're wrong. I said, if you can't prove me wrong, I don't want to hear it. And I walked away. I didn't talk to him after that for a long time, for a couple of years. And then maybe like, like two years. 
And the last thing that took place was I was so far deep in this game that I was in places where you see on movies, you think it's fake or you think it's not real. They're kind of making it up, but it is real. Did, did he reach out? Did he reach out to you at any time of those two years? Was he reaching no. out at all? So he just, he just shared the gospel with you or like mm-hmm. he put those seeds in left. And then during that process where would his, like his, uh, whatever he told well, you, would that come to your mind through those two years? I mean, was the Holy spirit kind of bringing well, that up over the, over the next two years? Yeah. Yeah. Well, actually it was like, it was a year, but cause here's where it gets crazy. Mm-hmm. So in that process, when I saw these things and, and stuff like that, I get a phone call. My wife says, Hey, I need you to pick up your son one day. And cause we had a, we had a son and, and she took him from me because she didn't, she didn't want me to see him because I was on drugs and all that. Yeah. But it makes sense. Totally. I said, I'll be there in the morning. I pick him up. I pick him up, pick him up. And, uh, I said, I'm not, I told myself I'm not going to party. Well, I ended up partying the night and the next morning I woke up and she was standing above, like right above me. I was like, man, some good stuff. And then all of a sudden I feel the most sharpest pain that I felt. And she hit me with a hanger. Still got the scar and <laughs> cherish that scar. If you mean my, when you when you're to me and my wife, you understand. Yeah. She's, she's good gangster, classy and loves Jesus more than ever. So I got it off. There you go. Exactly. Uh, and, uh, um, and so I remember, when I woke up, I saw my son walk in and on the table, I had, uh, you know, over $50,000. I had about three pounds of methamphetamine on the table. I mean, there was just everything everywhere. Oh, she, she didn't even know you were like that deep into it. Yeah. She didn't know. Surprise. She didn't know. She knew one day because she met this guy that she knew that he was, a, you know, yeah. a drug addict. And, and I think, I think if I'm correct, he asked for me or she asked, he asked for me where I was at. And he was like almost, you know, using the bathroom in his pants. Yeah. And she, right there, she knew something okay, going on. Because this guy was like a big time dude as well. Right. As she knew, but I was beyond way above him. And so in that moment, um, when that happened, my son saw that and my, my wife, I freaked out. And she's like, you'll never see us again. And I knew in my heart that I would never see him. And so what I did is I took, um, I took some, some knives that I had. Um, they're kind of curled on my arm and I slipped my wrist. I slipped my wrist. Uh, I ate about, I don't know, I think about four or five, three to five grams of methamphetamine, um, 10 pills of like ecstasy and stuff like that. So all I know and all I remember was I woke up in the hospital after that. She said there, she, she got in the car and she did, she kind of like took off and she had to make a U-turn back. And when she did, there was blood all over the sidewalk. I was covered in blood. Um, and when she went in the house, I was laying in the, the bathroom, just covered yeah. Um, so when I woke up, I woke up in the hospital, but I'll never forget. I will never forget. And a lot of people don't know this and I don't speak about this. Um, when I woke up, there was, there was detectives around me because in the house, there's, you know, I had all that stuff. So apparently I grabbed all that stuff and I threw it, threw it in a dryer and closed it. And the cops never found it. Oh my gosh. They never found it. So if, if they would have walked in and saw that, I mean, just for one gram, you get 10 years of prison Whoa. time. Yeah, I had I had like kilos, pounds. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, dang. And I grabbed all that, threw it in the dryer, and they never found it. But I remember waking up. But when I woke up and I saw these people, I remember looking, and I'll never forget this. I saw this little girl in a wheelchair, and she she looked like a little Chinese girl, but she had straight black hair all the way down to here, solid black. And I remember her stopping in the wheelchair. She was going, she was going like this because I'm in a chair. She was going like this. She stopped. And she looked at me, and when she looked at me, her eyes were pitch black. I'm talking about no white, no no 
nothing. It's solid black. What'd and she I say? remember her, she said to me, she said, are you ready? And then she, she, you know, they pushed her off. I was like, huh. And that later on that night, I ended up going to a suicide unit. All right. When hey, went, hold on. Hold on. Yeah. Because this crazy, is getting, crazy, this is getting really intense, but we got to go to a break. So yeah. you guys have tuned in or are tuning in to hear DJ Overcomer tell his story. He's out in Texas. He's an EDM DJ, but grew up with, you know, your story is actually pretty like real relatable to a lot of different people that come from broken homes. Uh, you're Latino. Your parents, you're, are your parents from Mexico as well? No, no. My grandparents are. Grandparents. Okay. Yeah. So Latino. Uh, you know, descendants to Mexico here in the United States, broke, uh, raised in a broken family, alcoholic dad, mom partying, going to Catholic church, no, no relationship, just religion. I mean, just that right there can relate to so many that are, that are listening to the show, but the story is about to make a serious turn as God is about to invade his life and transform him as we walk through that process if you want to tune in and get more shows, please go to uh, Ryan Reese Official on uh, YouTube. And I have all my past radio shows for the last six or seven years. We've picked up, I think, three new uh, uh, FM stations, uh, one up in uh, Silicon Valley up in California and another one back east. I'm about to get back to you with that, with that new one and some, someone, uh, another one somewhere else. But if you're uh, interested in continuing to pick up the show, please contact us. And we love to, to give you the broadcast. But we love you guys. And we'll be back in two minutes right after the break with DJ Overcomer. Peace. More of The Ryan Reese Show coming up. Post your questions at Ryan Reese on his Instagram, Twitter, and or Facebook. Over the past four years, an astounding 51,000 students from seven states, five countries, and 183 schools have responded to the gospel message because of the Whosoever's Kill the Noise Tour. A 15-year-old living in today's world gathers as much information in one day as a 15-year-old 80 years ago would have gathered in one full year. Do you realize the youth suicide rate is at an all-time high? Listen, in the next 24 hours in the USA alone, 1,439 teens will attempt suicide. Every 100 minutes, a teen takes their own life. 2,795 teenage girls will become pregnant and 15,006 teens will use drugs for the first time. The increasing amount of noise bombarding our students daily is destroying their minds and souls at an alarming rate. For this reason, the Whosoever's Kill the Noise Tour is a necessity. All right, dude, we are at the Kill the Noise Tour. We're in California right now, and it's about to pop off. We're getting everyone ready. We're going to pray, and then uh, basically the event's going to start, and we're going to see all kinds of kids come to the Lord. It's going to be sick. 
Our mission is to reach as many students as we possibly can with the message of the gospel. This is no easy task. We need kingdom builders like you to join us in this battle against the ever-increasing noise that surrounds the lives of these students. Please consider helping us expand this mission by partnering with the Whosoever's Kill the Noise Tour. Thank you for empowering future generations with us. Right. Well, if you've come back to the show with us, you know the first half has been insane, intense. But would you expect? I mean, here this dude, DJ Overcomer, is growing up, and his family's part of the Mexican mafia, and he he grew he grew up around this uh, drugs and, and and stuff in his life, and violence in his family. You know, alcoholic dad, divorce, going to Catholic church, doesn't know about God, just knows about dead religion. And then also he takes a hit of weed, and also all that stress leaves him. And it's a coping mechanism that led him into all kinds of different drugs. And now, fast forwarding, here he is. His wife, is your girlfriend at the time, actually found you, had an idea that you were involved with selling tons and tons of, of crystal meth. You're selling it. You're making kilos of it. She comes over. You over-party that night. She sees it on the table, 50 grand on the table. You're caught. You're busted. And then you decide to take a bunch of drugs to OD just to end it all. And then, boom, you wake up. You have all these medics around you. You, you. you slit your wrist. You're trying to bleed out. You have these medics around you, and they're taking you out of your house. And you see a girl in the wheelchair, and she looks over at you and goes, are you ready? What happens next? Well, when I, when I saw her, um, like I said, there was doctor, medics. There was... There was um, my family, my, my my girlfriend, which is my wife, was right there. Um, detectives. And when I saw her, the first thing I did was, who's that little girl? They all looked. There was no little girl. Yeah. And I remember that night, I ended up in the suicide unit. And I remember seeing that little girl there as well. In that unit, it was just a big box with, some, with rooms, with glass. Mm-hmm. There was a door, but there was glass all over it. So they can see in there. It was like it was like being a dog in a cage. Yeah, I've seen those. And in the in that those rooms, it's just a bed, and you had a TV in there, but the TV was real high with no remote controls, and you couldn't control it. It was like you're in, you sleep, they give you pills, you're out. That's it. Yeah. You come out for eat, and then you're right back in. I saw that little girl several times. I would ask people, you know, who's this little girl? And nobody knew who I was talking about. Mm-hmm. I remember telling my my wife, my girlfriend, and my family, and they're like. It's, you know, it's in your mind. Yeah. It's in your head. They wanted to put me in a mis- mental institute because I was just talking crazy. Yeah. In those weeks, uh, you know, I was trying to, like, figure out what, what the heck I was doing there. That little girl would come every night, talk to me. I finally realized that she's not of this world. Yep. I knew that some, she was some evil. And it started messing with my lot, like, like. I started hearing voices. I started hearing like just things to do to myself to, to end it. Yep. And I started realizing since I wasn't on drugs, how depressed I was and how miserable and not how I hid behind humor all the time and laughter and jokes and mm-hmm. 
um, and broken. And within those two weeks, this is where everything started to change for me. Um, it was a uh, pastor popped on the TV because every, every night uh, the TV would turn on at a certain time and then it would just turn off. You couldn't change the channel and then like that. But at all the nights I were there, I was there and never showed anything about church. Well, one night it, it turned on by itself. Um, not at the time that it's supposed to go on. Got it. Um, it was probably like 4.30 in the morning. Yep. Um, and I never forget. It was a pastor and he said, you know, everybody goes to things. Everybody's done something in life that they're not perfect. But do you know that God can turn all your scars into stars? Mm-hmm. And for me, I love stars. I mean, I got stars all over my body. I mean, I mean, I just love stars, but these stars meant different than what he's talking about. Yeah. When I heard him say that and I said, man, I got so much scars in my life that has been done to me, created by me. At how can I fix those scars? Because they will, they will always be seen. And as soon as he said that the TV turned off and I remember just sitting on the bed and I just started crying. The next day, the doctor came in and he says, how do you feel today? I said, I just want to go home. My wife that day ended up, I mean, that my girlfriend at the time was my wife, showed up to the, to the hospital the next day just when the doctor came and looked at me. And I looked at her, I said, I want to go home. And she said, the only way we'll go home, you can go home is we move out of here. Move out of here? And move out of San Angelo, move it out of the hometown we're from. Got it. Move back. Well, that same day, the doctor released me from being in there. I got out. I, I told her, I said, give me a day or so. I need to go take care of some stuff. And it was basically paying the people I needed to pay off so they wouldn't come looking for me. Right. And that's what I did. And the day after that, I moved to Dallas. And I moved with my father, my main, my real father. My father moved to Dallas a long time ago, about maybe 10 years before I did but what I didn't know, and I, I kind of knew a little bit about it, but my dad sa- uh, got saved. Oh, shoot. It's going party. down. <laughs> yeah. And he got saved. And he was a Jesus fanatic. But he was one of those that you can't do this. You can't live like this. You got to be like this. Oh, you gotta um, they're uh, legalistic. There you Very go. Very legalistic. Yes. And... No grace, just rules and regulations. Fire yeah, and brimstone. And so he, even though he was like that, though, I agreed to go. So he helped me pack up my stuff, and I brought my girlfriend, which is my wife at the time, to Dallas. And then she, uh, we started our journey. We stayed in a one-bedroom with me, my son, and her, and just tried to start our new lives. And at the same time, I didn't go to a, I didn't go to rehab. I didn't go. I didn't believe in that. I'm going to be real honest, and it's probably some people may agree, some people don't. But rehab, all it is is better connections. You got a bunch of drug addicts in there <laughs> with a bunch of connections. I never thought about that. <laughs> yeah, got a bunch of drug addicts and a bunch of connections. And if you think about it, they're just sitting out the time so they can go right back to it. Yeah. Why? Because they're addicts. Yeah. And so I, my wife helped me go through all those relapsing, I mean, uh, 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 what's it called, withdrawals. Mm-hmm. Um, she would cry because of the pain that I was in. Um, and then one day, um, we, we had, a uh, like two weeks later, we had a, a bad falling out and, uh, my dad said, Nope, she's not going to deal with this from you and brought her back to San Angelo. And it was just me over there. 
But I'll never forget the time when he got back. He said, enough's enough. We're going to beat this. This is what's going to happen. He walked into the room, grabbed the Bible, slammed the Bible on the table. He said, you're going to read the word. You're going to start reading on the book of Matthew. You need to hear Jesus' words. You need to read every single word that's in this Bible or in this chapter that's read. Good. Everything that's in is Jesus speaking. Yeah. Read it. Every night we'll do it together. If you don't, he goes, matter of fact, you ain't got no options. You this know, is what you're going to do. Hey, I, when, when you were telling me earlier about your dad, how he was just real like that, I was like, man, this is exactly what you actually need in your life at this particular time. Just yeah. like, yeah. no, and he hit me this hard. way it's done, get it done. And I would tell him too, I said, well, this little girl this and this little girl that, that what I was seeing, he's like, I rebuked this girl. Yeah. I said, what does rebuke mean? <laughs> I said, no, she's stuck. Like, I'm, something's wrong with me. You're seeing he demonic said, well, stuff. Well, he said, well, worry about that stuff later. Yeah. So I started reading that. And within like eight days, I started feeling different. Hmm. And I'll never forget. It was July 7, 2007. Um, I decided uh, I ended up taking off and I got high. Um, I don't know. It was on the 6th. I got high on that Saturday. Never forget. I got super high. But something was just didn't feel right in my heart. Well, that Sunday morning at 1130, I knew my uncle um, and, and some other people would tell me about this church to go to. And I said, you know what? I'm just going to go to church. I didn't sleep. But all that night, I was super high. Walked into the church at 1130. You know how you when you first like walk through the door and like you feel the wind hits you, you feel like, oh, my God, the Holy Spirit just hit me. Right. <laughs> it was the AC on top of the window. That hit me. <laughs> I walked in. And so you were up all I, night. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I was like, man, I needed that. But when I walked in is what and I looked up is what changed everything. My uncle that talked that talked to me about God was standing right there. And I said, what are you doing? He's like. God told me to wait for you, that today was the day you were coming. He goes, I've been here since 8.30 waiting on you, standing right here waiting. Dang. And I said, are you serious? And even ah, even thinking about it, like, it brings joy to my heart because that day was July 7, 2007. Seven, seven, seven. Awesome. And then he's like, and it was a big church. It was a mega, it was a huge church. And I was like, kind of like iffy about it. Cause a lot of people, when they go to a big church and see all these people and yeah, you know, it's it can, like, it can overwhelm you, it can be especially if you've been on drugs your whole life. Because when you're on drugs or your whole life or doing drugs, you isolate yourself. Yeah, you don't, don't want to be, be around, around thousands of people. <laughs> yeah. You just want to kind of like do your own thing and like feel high. Yeah. But I remember walking in, I walked into the sanctuary, he sat me down. I was like freaking out. And then the pastor comes on and he talks about, hey, and it, everybody listening to this right now, you can agree. How many times do you feel like the pastor is like literally just speaking to you because you know you're doing wrong? But this pastor didn't really speak to me. He just pointed it out. This is what you want in life. This is what you got to do. You can't just go and just put your finger in the water just to feel the temperature because it's not going to be, it's not going to be like, that's not the actual temperature because by the time the signal goes from the tip of your finger to your brain, that temperature already changed. Mm. No. It's the same thing about receiving blessings. Don't just go put the, your, your finger in it just to try to get a little taste of the blessing. Jump right in. And I remember that pastor jumped from the top of the altar, and it was a steep altar, and rolled all the way down and just was just going crazy. I was like, what the heck? He ended up fracturing his arm. And I was like, what is going on? And he goes, it's time for you to take a stand. The Bible says to stand on the word. So grab your Bible, throw your Bible on the ground, ground take your shoes off, and stand on the Bible because the Bible is the word. That's your rock. 
that's what you need to stand on. And I remember when you said that a song came on, it was a worship song called The Stand by, I believe it was by Hillsong. And I'll never forget when, as soon as that song came on, I fell to my knees. Dang. I remember I said, God, if you can save me, if you can take me from this life that could kill me, I'll serve you for the rest of my life. And I'll never forget. I felt the most warmest thing that went over me that just kind of like poured on top of me. I remember feeling like a happiness I've never had in my life. And I ended up getting baptized that day too, again. Because I got baptized when I was a baby as a Catholic. Yeah, of course. But, I mean, they just sprinkled some water on me. But this one, <laughs> yeah, this one, like, I got prepared. I got baptized and my life started. And two weeks later, my 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 girlfriend came down. My it was, it was She became my girlfriend and became my wife and went through the journey and, and uh, started becoming a believer and a Christian and, I thought in my mind as a Christian, you cannot do things. You have to walk like him everywhere you go. You can't speak like this. You can't act like this. And coming as a DJ from the from the real world, because yep. I've been DJing since I was 16 years old, I ain't going to lie. The music was horrible. Christian hip-hop was just whack. I mean, it was just like boring. Yeah, it was. And I started going to church, and I started feeling good and everything. And then I relapsed again. Because the pain from my past still came. Mm-hmm. I may have asked God to save me, but I didn't cast all my cares for him to, to, to process my problems and my issues. Right. I didn't, because he's the one that, that can heal them all. Right. And in the time, I met a youth pastor. The, the second year that we're, or the year that we're there, the first year, I met a youth pastor, and I kind of mentioned I was a DJ. He said, oh, my God, I've been praying for a DJ. I said, he goes, well, you have your turntables? I said, no, I sold them all for drugs. He's like... <laughs> Me, my guitar center in the morning, went over there. The next day, he bought me some turntables. Amazing. And I started DJing for the youth group. And when I started DJing for the youth group, people were coming to me, prophesizing, and saying, hey, man, we see you in front of thousands of people. I'm like, man, get out of here. I'm going to here in front of like 10 people, 10 kids, 30 kids out of the most. I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> I was like, my wife's like, what are you? It was like people that I've never even met before. And I'm like, I don't know what you're talking about. Even my wife's like, I don't know. Yeah. And then all of a sudden... I get a phone call within this time and my youth pastor uh, was fired from the church um, because he had an affair uh, on his wife with his sister. Mm-hmm. And that right there made me look at things differently. I'm like, Oh my gosh, I came from over here to here. Yeah. And this is what's happening in the church. Yeah. Like this is all fake. Yeah. So what happened? I went, I, it, it broke my heart. Yeah. I loved him. Yeah. And it started like, I just kind of stepped away from it, stepped away from DJing. I stopped DJing because I was like, I'm not DJing for these people. I'm not, I said, it's just, I'm just going to go to find a nine to five job. And there we go. Mm-hmm. With that being said, I was just a basic guy that believed in God and knew there was a Jesus. I knew the Virgin Mary couldn't save me, but Jesus could. Right. But at the same time, I only wanted Jesus when I needed him. Yep. I didn't want Jesus when everything was going good. So when you, so when you, sorry, let me jump in here really quick. So DJ Overcomer, when you, uh, when you step back and I, I do want to just kind of address this because this, this is a thing, you know, you can't for the listeners, you can't always put, you should never put any man on a pedestal because men are flawed. All men are flawed. We're all sinners. Everyone makes mistakes. 
And we know that in the church there is a higher calling, right? So, you know, you shouldn't be going out and sleeping with girls and different things. But things do happen because Satan has come to steal, kill, and destroy. He studies and he knows how to get in and disrupt things. And that's what he wants to do. And then it affects people that are going to the churches. That's why there's church splits and all these different things. And also, I do also want to point out, and I'm not saying that, I'm not endorsing saying it's okay for these things to happen. I'm not saying that. But what I'm saying is, my point is, things do happen. But you got to keep your eyes on Jesus because Jesus is the model. The disciples, they like I was saying earlier, they would fail here and there. But Jesus was consistent. He never changes. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And also, you know, with you coming out of your past life, you know, I always tell people that the Jesus ministry is messy. You know, and when I say that is like, when you're looking at Jesus, how he's dealing with people, look at King David. I mean, you know, he murdered one of his, his main men. He, he had sex with his main general's wife, got her pregnant, and then that's why he wanted to kill the guy to get rid of the problem. Get, you know, like, and, but God said that David was a man after his own heart. And what I'm saying is, like, it is messy. We, we go after God, and we fail. Maybe someone's, like, watching porn, and God delivers them, and then all of a sudden they go back to porn for a night. They repent, and they get off porn. It's like... It's messy, but you just keep working out your faith with fear and trembling and going to the cross daily. And that's basically what I'm seeing in your life as you're telling me this. Yeah, yeah and you, I did. I you did. just keep going. You keep going. You keep going. So and what was the and, next and thing? I knew I knew in, my, in that moment that I, it was time for me to step up and do my part. Yeah. yeah. I thought God had to come all the way to come save me. Mm-hmm. And no, that means I want to. I had an old, old wisdom guy, um, which is my uncle. He's not old, but he uh, said, why don't you just meet God at 99% and see what he does for you instead of him coming at you? Mm-hmm. I want to point out said, one thing really quick, because what you said, we know that Jesus came on a rescue mission and eternity to die for the sins of the world. But the Bible says, Jesus says, if you want to be my follower, you got to turn from your selfish ways, which is your body appetites, and pick up your cross daily. So basically yeah. you gotta head to the cross daily. That's doing your part. Yep. Yep. And you know what? That cross was super heavy because uh-huh. I don't know how many times I just wanted to drop it and say, screw this. Yep. I don't want to do this. True. But I just going, I felt like something in my spirit was telling me to keep going. But what I didn't realize that in those all these years that I was doing what I was doing, I opened hundreds and hundreds and maybe thousands of doors. Mm-hmm. Well, when you open up those doors, stuff was going into me. Mm-hmm. I needed to cast some things out. Mm. And that's when I realized my life started kind of going down again. And these demons that I've had in my past that were probably, or at the time were in me, were manifesting. Strongholds, footholds. Strongholds. And I was possessed with eight demons that my wife um, and girlfriend at the time was fighting for my life. She was facing these things daily basis where... I wasn't eating where they were manifesting and speaking into her in a different language. So, so check this out. So as I'm hearing this story, you gave your life to Christ, you got filled with the spirit. But then when that thing happened at your church with the pastor, you walked away from God. Yes. You walked away and you just, you, you basically turned your back on God at that point. Cause you were like, forget this. I'm not doing this anymore. And you went back to this whole life. And then you hear about the Bible when it says that, you know, uh, when a demon is casted out, and the house isn't clean. They come back with seven demons more worse. 
So for whatever reason, you know, I don't know the spiritual, I don't know exactly what happened in the supernatural realm, but what I know from the scriptures is that they came back to influence your life again, and then you got possessed, and now you're you're speaking in different languages, and your I'm wife's trying to cast these off demons the ground. Out. I'm I'm doing things that you cannot do on your own as a human. Mm-hmm. I mean, I remember my wife taking me to the church. The same room that I got saved in is the same room that I destroyed because they were casting these things out. Yeah. But my wife went through the whole process, and what happens when you fight? a battle and come to the war and then you win the gloriness and the beautifulness of everything. I'll never forget that day. Mm-hmm. And that's the day that DJ overcomer was created. Mm-hmm. The overcomer was something that I never thought that I would do because I didn't even go by DJ overcomer when I started DJing at the mm-hmm. church. I just, I didn't even go. I just went by DJ. Yeah. But you overcame and, a lot, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And, and uh, I remember, I remember that day, um, I remember my uncle was like, man, I met this cool dude today. And it was the same day that I got the, that, that I was going through all this. He said, I met this cool dude, man. I'll never forget. He goes, man, he just kept talking about, you know, Jesus, this and Jesus, that. And, and, you know, I, they called him OC and OC and OC. And, and he, and he goes, I don't understand why, why they call him OC for. He never told me what his name was. Well, that night when everything happened, I went through my last, you know, fight and it was a fight for my life. I had to want to give my life to God and be a good person. I wanted to end what I was going through and break those chains. But I never forget when I, when I did that, I smelled this aroma of flowers that I've never smelled in my whole life. It was so strong. And I know we're pressed for time, but it was so strong that to this day, I could never, I have never smelled it anywhere else. And I heard the voice and the voice that I have made you an overcomer of all. I'm going to take you places you ain't never been. I have gifted you in a gift that is different, you're going to go in places and you're going to be the light because you're an overcomer. And then I felt this anointing of a shower over my head and while I was on my knees. And I remember speaking in tongues for the first time. I remember the Holy Spirit coming in my body. I remember, and, and, and I had witnesses. I had my uncles and my aunts and my cousins that were there praying for me. My wife was right there at the time. And I remember just feeling in this anointing that I've never felt in my life. And I remember just kind of like breathing and like a, like a backpack being taken off my back. And I remember looking at my wife and I said, I got to do music. She's like, okay. And she said, okay, what, what, what do you mean? I said, DJ Overcomer, that's who I'm going to be. And then I remember standing up and I've never slept so well in my life. I slept for like three days straight. And then when I woke up, I had a phone call and said, Hey, how would you like to perform at this event? And I said, fine get to the event there was 3000 kids and i performed for my first time as dj overcomer and i knew right then and then that's what i'm supposed to be doing and i'm going to jump in here because our time is getting pressed since then you have been touring all over i've seen you and in, in, uh, you're touring all d- around different spots in the world different parts of the united states i've seen yeah. you do uh outreaches we did an outreach with the whosoever's down in uh puerto vallarta it was it was gay pride week and we had the um, the the outdoor arena. It was probably like I don't know five to six hundred people. It was packed. That's all we could fit. They were all around. It was all yep. lit up in rainbow. Yeah, <laughs> you uh, performed. You told your testimony. I came and gave the gospel at the end, and we saw hundreds of people get saved, and it was radical. And we con- and you continue to go out, play at conferences, youth groups, uh, 
you know, raves. I mean, you're 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 out. You do it all. I like you're like the movement. You like the whosoever's. You do it. You can do it in the church or out in the streets. You're not we're stuck. A, in we're, one. A, we're a church with no walls. Exactly. Anywhere like Jesus. Well, yep. well, Jesus spent. You know, Jesus spent the majority of his ministry in the Sea of Galilee, which they called it the Sea of the Gentiles. And then he would surface into the church or in the temple, and he'd break over the scriptures. So he continued to tour where there was non-believers to, to bring the good news. And that's exactly uh, what we do. How do people find you? What's, what's your uh, Instagram handle? How do people book you? How do they contact you if they want you to come down and, and, and uh, perform? Well, um, yeah. Um, so you can go on all social media platforms, DJ Overcomer. And uh, um, on my website is djovercomer.com. Um, but you're not just booking me. You're booking an experience. We're in Overcomer Ministries. Uh, we have uh, we're a nonprofit as well that partner up with uh, with several other uh, nonprofits as well. Yeah, and so you can go to djovercomer.com. A lot of stuff is being constructed right now, but we bring an experience. You never know what you're going to get. You might have me throw this huge party, and then you'll have Ryan speaking at the end and giving the gospel and doing an altar. You can have several other pastors as well. We are a church that are, I mean we are a ministry of a bunch of misfits that have been through something. Um, if you want to book me, you can also email us at uh, bookdjovercomer.com. I mean book book dj overcomer at gmail um and so forth so just type in dj overcomer you'll find us uh, if you want to be a donor you can go to the website uh, just know that the church needs to be changed it's about the new generation mm-hmm. and if we can reach this new generation now we don't have to wait till they're 30 or in prison just to speak to them about god yep so exactly it's it's the story is even bigger than what it is for my wife because my wife's a powerful wife Oh, um, we have nine. We have eight seconds left. So yeah, listen, so book us. Get We're get uh, city. get get down there. You know, it has to be a good new way of evangelism for this culture. Peace. This has been the Ryan Reese Show. To connect and find out more about Ryan. Click on ryan-reese.com. Check us out next Saturday at 9 p.m. for The Ryan Reese Show. Two weeks old in an iron lung, which is, you know, like a sealed oxygen unit, um, fighting for my life. I couldn't couldn't breathe properly. And apparently I didn't make a sound. Um from the day I was born because my lungs were all messed up. That's Martin Smith of Delirious sharing a personal testimony on The Walk, a podcast for worshipers. Join us weekly to hear songwriters, worship leaders, filmmakers, and other creatives tell stories in the form of a devotional. The Walk can be found on lifeaudio.com or your favorite podcast platform.